Recorded live. Hello, everyone. Welcome to yet another edition of Let's Run.com's Trek Talk. This is a very special edition. So as we have live from Birmingham, England, boots on the ground at the 2008 World IAAF World Indoor Championship, Jonathan Galt. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Robert. Good to be here from snowy Birmingham. Uh, I'm in my flat, as they would call it, uh, a couple blocks from the stadium. And uh, it's been windy and snowy and pretty foul so far. But fortunately, the meet is indoors where it's warm and, well, artificially lit. So that'll be good. People are calling it foul. That's a, that's another British word, John. A few of the guest callers are saying they can't hear anything again. We had this problem last time. Um the best option is to call in. I don't see the player. I was trying to figure out how that player works for somebody else. I cannot. Yeah, I think that's really the best option. I, I tried to. Uh, there used to be a player, and I told Wells to try to find the video for it. See here, I just received a text message. Maybe the link to the player. Anyways, um, yeah, believe it or not, John, I, I have a a uh, friend. Well, don't believe it or not that I have a friend. Of course I have a friend. But there was a, fa- a visitor, website visitor, let's put it that way. He was going over to the World Indoors as a spectator, as a fan, flying over, taking off from work to go. And then with the snowstorm, he was his flight was delayed. He was going on. He got switched to some other airline that he was very worried about. He said, "Hey, he said he had a bad safety record, so instead of going on another airline, he just canceled the entire trip." So, well, you did the good thing. It took me uh, to fly out on Tuesday evening as opposed to Wednesday evening, so I got here. I got adjusted to the time difference. I slept for twelve hours last night, but now I think I'm adjusted to Greenwich Mean Time, and uh, I did not get caught up in the snow. So uh, I'm here. You're welcome. Folks, it's only first class here at Let'sRun.com. Any potential future employers, anyone that wants to take Jonathan Galt's job down the line, Jonathan, tell them the type of of, uh, accommodations that we've given you. You talked about your flat. Now, is it true that you can actually see the stadium from your flat? You're directly across the street. Yeah, I'm across the street, but I cannot see the stadium from my window. That's just because the building... If you took down, if you leveled the building, the rest of the building, uh, you'd probably be able to see the arena. Though, for the record, I did not fly first class. I flew economy, which was fine, but I don't want you spreading fake news here, Roger. Yes, uh, there we go. Johnny Galt trying to, trying, to, trying to downplay what it's like to work for the for the juggernaut that is LegendRun.com in case anyone else tries to. It's a dog-eat-dog world, John. I would hate to be a, a young employee with people always undercutting you like that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> makes me keep my game. All right, yeah. Enough about the let's run internal dynamics. Let's talk about this meet, huh? Yes. So where should we begin, John? Um, you've been going to a number of press conferences. Uh, it looks like um, you went to the IAAF press conference. That was first, and then the USATF press conferences. I found an interview uh, of Donovan Brazier that you did. I posted it to YouTube. People can listen to that now. We're definitely going to talk about that. But um, just tell us, I guess, what you've been to today and, and what – you know, I'm sure most people have read the previews, and we can sort of preview the events, but I want to get to the stuff that you learned today 
instead of sort of writing up an article about what you saw this morning, we decided to do this podcast. So this is really this exclusive inside information that people can use to enter the 2018 pre-worlds, uh, I mean, World Indoor Prediction Contest that we have sponsored by Running Warehouse, where you can win $200,000. Get your picks in now after this podcast. But give, give people inside info. What do you want to talk about what you learned today? All right. Well, I think we should probably focus on the USATF press conference just because, to be honest, the, uh, the IAF one wasn't that amazing. Uh, they had several athletes there, obviously. Um, you know, Sally Pearson was there, the uh, world champion in the 100 hurdles. They had Katerina Johnson-Thompson. They had Marie Jose Talou of the Ivory Coast. They had Katerina Stefanini, and they had Sandy Morris. Um, and then they had Sebco and some of the local people but you know as, as you'll notice they made a big deal they were like march is women's history month in the uk and i think in the us as well so they had all female invitees for uh, the athletes uh and that's that's not why it wasn't interesting it's just there was no one-on-ones it was sort of not that many questions from the press but uh what i got from that was uh sally pearson she's obviously running the 60 hurdles which is the event where the us has the three top entrants in that and my takeaway was that Sally was pretty much gearing up for the Commonwealth Games. She hasn't raced indoors this year, and she didn't seem to be too bothered with, you know, using this as a prep meet to get re- to get into a b- best shape for the Commonwealth Games, which is in Australia. So uh, that's one person normally, you know, she'd be a threat to to medal, and she still is, but. Uh, I think the chances for the U.S. sweep, which has never happened in any event at World Indoors, uh, went up based on what I heard from Pearson. Um, Sandy Morris's polls have arrived. Uh, she was worried. I think they got, they might have got stuck in the Paris airport or they didn't get through, but she said they've arrived um, and she's ready to do some vaulting. It's Katerina Stefanidi tomorrow. Uh, actually, I don't know when they're vaulting. It's either, you know, it's, it's not tonight, obviously, but that should be a pretty good competition. They've gone one, two in the Olympics, and the world championships the last two years. And then I, I did get a question to ask. I did get a chance to ask Seb Coe a question, which I wanted to know, uh, you know, this year they have the world indoors, but there's no world outdoor championships. And that is one thing that I've always sort of wondered about, like just why is there no world outdoors in the off years, you know, 2018, 2022, 2026. And he told me, um, he said, I don't think it's something we're looking at. You know, they're still sort of working on trying to rejigger the calendar and figure out, uh, maybe restructure the calendar. But he said, I actually think the world championships in alternate years of the outdoors work pretty well. But as I've said before, everything's on the table and nothing's off the table. Uh, he's sure it'll be part of the discussion they have, um, when they really get down to nailing down the calendar. But those were the highlights. I don't know if there was anything else you wanted to expand on or comment on those, but that was the highlights from the IAF press conference. Mm, that's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think from the IWF standpoint, first of all, it's a lot of work to put these on. Although I assume they still have to do a lot of work even in the Olympic year to put it on, even though they're not really technically in charge. Um, but they would probably claim there's a world championship outdoors every other year. It just happens to be there's also Olympic and Olympics in one of those years. But to me, it, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to have an off year 2018 um, in terms of the outdoor worlds. So to have it every year or to just to go 
2016, 2018, 2020, have an off year every other year, then it would make Worlds more important. And if you were kind of focused on these other meets, you know, the Diamond League season would be bigger in those other years. Um, or I've Are you saying said, get rid of the Olympics, Robert? What do you What do you suggest? No, no, get, get rid of one of the Worlds. You know, you need to, you, you can't have three out of four years. You need to have two out of four or four out of four. Three out of four makes no sense. And that's what we have in terms of the outdoor championships. Or how about this? Why couldn't you run the world indoors in the middle of summer? I mean, people have air conditioning. So if you really want to make cold big, But if you're going to do that, that's, that's a ridiculous idea. If you're going to do that, just do it world outdoor championships. Well, hey. Anyways, um, guest six has been up. I don't know. Guest six, where are you from? Type in that box. Watch the IWF Presser live and it's now saying he wants a Team World Cup in this off year. So, anyway. Well, there is a Team I, World Cup this summer. You know, that's happening in, in London in July. Yeah, but it's like a fake Team World Cup, I think. Anyways, um, let's start with, um, you know, do, do you want to talk about the USATF first conference more or do you want to try to preview the Women's 3000, which is tonight? Uh, let's, maybe we can hit on uh, Brazier real quick um, from the, you know, USATF press conference. So who who uh, was at the USA? Who was at the USATF event? Uh, Donovan Brazier, Brittany Reese, uh, the long jumper, Sam Kendricks, Paul Walter, and Sharika Elvis, who broke the American record in the 60 hurdles last week. That was actually more entertaining. Uh, I think Brittany Reese and Sharika Elvis both seem very impressed by Sam Kendricks. He's quite a Sam Kendricks, if you've never heard him during an interview, he's he's very fluid uh, with how he speaks. Like he's very clear um, and enunciates well. But there's also it's something sort of strange. Like I don't know if robotics the right way, but uh, just the way he talks, it, it's just a little. It, it doesn't always seem natural. It seems a little forced sometimes. But at the same time, he is he gives very good clear answers, and uh, you know is a good you know, person interview. But anyway, they they were all very impressed with how he handled the interviews. And um, even one of the journalists actually asked him, like, uh, you know, you're so good at public speaking. Can you give me a few tips? Because English isn't my first language. So that was one of the big takeaways. Everyone is impressed by Sam Kendricks. Um, but yeah, I talked to Brazier and he said he definitely wants a fast final. I think he's pretty much of the mindset that he knows if it goes fast, or, you know, 144, 145 low, he thinks it's probably just him and Emmanuel Courier who are going to be able to hang at that place, at that pace. And so that's really his best chance to medal is to get it to go out hard and, you know, sort of run off some of the pretenders. Um, but and he said, you know, I, we asked him, uh, you know, would you commit to taking the pace? And he's like, well, pretty much he, he, would, he would prefer if Courier did the – pacing but he knows that it kind of has to be one of them so you know we'll see how that plays out but he, he's feeling he's feeling confident he's definitely you know I've definitely noticed both in the races and just you know talking to him uh, you know in interviews Brazier definitely feels more confident this year he's, he's really you know he had that 2016 the Olympic trials was obviously a disaster for him but 2017 he got some experience in the Diamond League circuit he ran Worlds uh, won the U.S. title outdoors, and now he, I think he's really coming into his own. And you know, Curry is still Curry is going to be really hard to beat. And Donovan admitted he said it's going to take a special race to beat Emmanuel Curry. But uh, 
you know, everything's been going very well for Donovan so far this year, and I think uh, he knows he has a great chance to medal, and I expect him to medal. Hmm. Yeah, I, I thought that I, I listened to the interview as I was getting ready for this podcast, and one thing I was wondering, um, well, he was asked about the strategy, what strategy he would use to um, try to take down career. And I'm going to try to see if, if you, I'm going to try to play it real quick, see if you guys can hear it. It may not work, but it's only, we only wasted 15 seconds of our lives. But here he is when he talks about the, what his strategy would be to, to take down career.
hang with the pace and then, uh, you know, go around at some point in the last lap and, and pass into the lead. I think in a slow race, you know, yeah, you need to be, you need to be thinking tactically, even, you know, even if you're in one world record shape, you know, if you're in fifth or sixth at the bell, you know, you're going to have to pick the right spots to move and make sure you move up correctly. But yeah, like you said, if you're really fit, and I think Donovan is compared to the rest of the field, uh, tactics isn't that big a deal. I think that's, I think he's being genuine when he, uh, when he says, um, when he says that, and when he says what he, what he did in the interview. So, yeah, yeah, he liked it fast. I assume Manuel Career would want it fast. I mean, Career's got to think he's a second and a half better than everybody else, but I don't I just try to run, run away from it. He's had his own tactical problems. So I assume if they both get in the final, everything will be fine. Um, one question I have, how tall – I mean, Brazier's pretty tall. John, if you had to guess, how tall is Brazier? How tall is Career? I've got to think Brazier is about 6'2", because I'm – that's about my – I'm 6'2", and Donovan and I – sorry, I'm 6'2", I'm a 6'1". I'm, I think I'm 6'2". Donovan and I see pretty much eye to eye. So uh, I would say he's 6'2". Korea, oh, I can't – I'm trying to think how tall – I was looking for this in the – working on our previews because, you know, indoors it's a little bit of a disadvantage to be tall. I would say Korea is probably – I think he's over six feet. I think he's a fairly tall guy, but I, I don't remember exactly. Yeah, because I – I would assume that he's going to try to get to the front too. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting. And one thing, have the heats come out? Because to us, it seems to me like a, a big thing here is how many heats in there end up being. If there's only 15 entrants, do they do somehow just two heats? I imagine they would do three heats of five, which totally changes things. Because you're only going to have six people in the final. So it's not easy to get into the final. Um, have the heats come out yet, John? No, they, they haven't. I checked the IAF website right before Donovan. I asked him at the press conference, had he seen the heats? He hadn't seen them yet either. Um, so we're still waiting, though they should be out at some point today because the technical meeting was this morning. Yeah. So, you know, that is really one of the events that I'm most excited about. I, I, there's a lot of things I'm really excited about for the world indoors, and this is why we're sort of having this podcast. That's why we sent you over there. I mean, of course, we always go to world indoors in recent years, but um, to me, um, you know, Brazier and and Career are two of the biggest young talents we've seen in quite a long time. I mean, Brazier may be the biggest young talent in U.S. history. Career is certainly up there in world history with his 400 PR um, being so fast. So you really got the cream of the cream. Um, You're going to have a loaded men's 3K. The women's 3K is absolutely ridiculous. and then most of those women will double back in the 1500. And then we've got A.G. Wilson going against Neil Sabo and Bowie and others in the women's 800. So there's a lot really to look forward to. The only sort of non-marquee event in terms of that type of stuff would be the men's 1500. But then on that front, it's sort of the wide openness of it makes it really intriguing. Can Chris O'Hare get a medal? What about an American? Ben Blankenship or Craig Ingalls? You know, first they've got to get into the final. But, um, you know, with David Rudisha. You know, he just turned 29, I think, in December. He's going to be turning 30 later uh, this year. Hasn't really been heard from in a while. I mean, I've even, I can't even remember, John. This is how bad, admittedly, we were going to do our first – my wife was pregnant for the first time. And I wasn't maybe on top of track as I should have been. But what happened to Rodisha last year? I know he got hurt, right? But is he coming back? And um, 
Well, that's, have we heard that's anything? a good question. I was actually I was talking with uh, David Monty from Race Results Weekly about this at USA Indoors, and we were wondering, like, you know, what is it worth Radisha to come back? I think he is planning on continuing to compete because his agent, he just changed agents from James Templeton, who is getting out of the business, to uh, Michelle Boating, the Dutch agent. So I don't think he would take on a new agent if you weren't intending to continue to compete, but Rudisha has a fairly unassailable case as the greatest 800 runner ever. He's the world record holder. He's won two Olympic titles. He's won two world titles. And, you know, he's 29. You wonder, you know, maybe maybe he decides, okay, I'm going to make one more push and I'm trying to go through Tokyo and then, I'll, you know, I'll give it up. But he really, he could retire right now and he'd still be the best ever. I don't think he has anything more to prove. So really it's about do you want to continue to push your body for another two years, um, especially when the 800 is a pretty young man's game. You know, once you hit 30, that's about it for most guys, unless you're a freak of nature like Johnny Gray. Right. But Johnny Gray did it back in the day, and we're seeing it more and more in the 1500 with Nick Willis. So I, I've always said we don't really know what people are capable of just because, A, sports medicine's gotten better, but, B, I think the money involved is, is keeping people in the game. I mean, sort of when you're an amateur, of course you retire in your 20s. Now that it's a professional game, yeah, maybe people can go longer. One person I would have really loved to have seen in this event is, of course, the world champion outdoors, Pierre Ambrose. Pierre Ambrose Bosse. He did actually run an indoor race just a couple weeks ago in France, leaving France. He ran a 220.01,000 meters to win. I've never understood that. Like, if you're in pretty good shape, like, why would he just do it? You know, I mean, what does he have to get ready for? There's no world outdoors. Go ahead and hit this race hard, then take a, a month or two off and, and start rolling again and try to probably get ready for the, you know, Paris Diamond League or whatever you want to get ready for into the Diamond League season. So yeah, well, I, will... I, don't, I don't think he has the standard, though. Does he, Rock? Pretty sure the standard is uh, 140. You need to go sub-144 outdoors, or you have to run 146.50 indoors. And Boss, you know, he only raced wow. a few times last year outdoors. You know, that, that should just point. be a rule. If you're a reigning world outdoor champion, you get a bye. But yeah. His best time well, first of all, right. and, and we talked about that in our 1500 PVO. A number of the Kenyans don't have, there's only one Kenyan entry, and a number of the Kenyans don't have the time. But um, I clearly think they should count an outdoor time if it's in the last three months. Like, it shouldn't matter to me whether it's indoors and outdoors. I mean, maybe you add a half second to an, an outdoor time. If, if someone in Kenya right now in February is running a race, maybe that's potentially a little bit faster than indoors. But yeah, if he wanted to get the time, he clearly could at 220. Um, but yeah, it's just some of the. The qualifying thing drives me nuts, but yeah, I don't think you know he didn't decide not to do it because he couldn't get the time. I think he's pretty confident he would get the time. You're right. His outdoor personal best last year was only 144.67, but you know he was a surprise winner, and that shows us that there could be obviously a surprise winner here in the in the thing. And you know, Adams, because I'm looking at the Let's Run Nation people. First of all, I should have actually started the show with a number. We started talking about the lodging, and I was trying to be funny, but I really apologize. And I want to erase everything, start over again with a new intro. You're honored to be listening to the two people that tied for second in the Electron.com <laughs> Running Warehouse Prediction Contest. Folks, there's a reason why you come to the website, and we're smarter than you. And this finally proves it. I mean, for a long, long time, I've been saying, hey, I'm an Ivy League graduate. I went to Princeton. My wife is very not impressed by that. She's like, you went to Princeton back when they let any white male into the school. And um, 
So, but I, I hope that people now at least believe that I'm somewhat intelligent after finishing second with you, Jonathan. But people want to know how we do it. And basically, you know, I read your previews, John. Thank you. But um, no, I think really in the world indoors, I, I was helped by a lot. I was really confident after talking to you that the 3,000 people were going to double back in the 1,500. And they were, then when I thought about it, I'm like, Houlihan and Shalima are going to dominate that thing. And they did. So that was huge. But when I look at I do have some inside information. I did not use this for USA, but I asked Weldon, he's unable to join us on the call, to send over a link so I can see who's voting in the prediction contest. And um, Career and Brazier obviously are getting most of the first place votes of who's going to win 800. Um, the, there's a third man getting some, Adam to shot, and then it's really tiny for two others. But, John, I'm going to guess, I want you to guess, what percent of people in the Let's Run Running Warehouse prediction contest have picked Career to win, and what percent have picked Brazier to win? Uh, okay, I just well, I just went on the, uh, the polls on the, the preview article, so I kind of cheated here, but uh, I'm going to say 55% career, uh, 35% Brazier, 10% shot. No, but people are going big on career, and I think for good reason. I mean, think about it. He's kind of his PR to everybody else in this field is probably like Radisha's back in the day, you know, 88.2%. And normally there is an American bias, 7.4% for for Brazier. But a lot of people, a decent number of people are, are impressed by Scott. How do you say it? Shot? No, Adam Shot is usually how I say it. Like shot put? 3.8%. Then there's some guy I've never heard of, I'll admit it. Alvaro de Arriba, 0.4%, which is... Even more than Drew Wendell at 0.1%. So someone has voted for Drew Wendell for World Indoor Gold. So there you have it. Um, but Brazier actually, and, and we don't have every event. Um, we have all the distance events. We have the men's 60, I think the 60 hurdles, the men's 400, men's long jump, pole vault, then um, women's. Um, 60, long jump. 400. But um, the biggest favorite of all, John, just this would be amazing if you can think about it. Guess which event has the biggest favorite? Over 99%. Actually, 99% of the people have voted for this young man. It's a man. Wait, this is all right. Really, the biggest favorite should be Mary, Maria Lissitskini. I don't really understand why you pick anyone. Like, how can anyone vote for anyone else? But uh, it's a guy. I'm trying to think. Colt. Cobby Coleman. Is it Christian Correct. Coleman? Christian Coleman, 99%. Wow. Wow. Oh, I mean, I know you have it. If you want to... the scoop, if you're trying to um, if you're trying to um, you know, game the system or really upset the people, you can pick that upset and then everybody else would lose a lot of points there. Maria Alessa Kenny is getting 91.6%. So maybe after this broadcast, I'll publish this. Sometimes I publish this. A lot of people have inside scoop, but um, yeah, I, I think that's you're, that's only fair if you're uh, if you're gonna use that. Hey, to make you know, fit. like the employee at DraftKings was like winning thousands of dollars by taking information like this and right. And I know. So um, I've got to figure out a way to embed the player. I apologize to people that um, our foreign visitors are trying to call in from Costa Rica. So if anyone wants to be on the call. And, ask a question, feel free. I see uh, South Texas is on there. Oh, we've just been joined by a special guest. Um, let's see if you people can recognize this voice. 
Hello, caller. Welcome to the call. Me? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's giving me a big talk show intro. Well, then, Johnson, Electron Night co-founder, I, I thought you were at the airport. I'm at the airport, but unfortunately, I'm not going to Birmingham. But what event at World Indoors are you most excited about, Walden? Most excited. In the 60s, got to be up there. Distance races. I don't know. Women's free case can be great tonight, so we'll start. We'll, we'll start. We'll start there. All right. I guess I'll mute you back. Do you want to be on the call or? No, you didn't mute me because I just sat down in my seat. I had to check a bag, setting this up, and the lady's giving me the side eye. Okay. So good talk. Have a great podcast, John. I'm jealous. I'm gonna beat you in the contest. I thought when I saw okay. him on there, maybe, maybe he just called in to listen. I, when I saw his name pop up, he told me that he couldn't be on the podcast. Then when I saw his name pop up, I thought he wanted to be on, but I guess he just was calling in to listen before the point took yeah, off. Yeah, well, he said something crazy, though. He was going to beat me in the contest. I don't know if he was hallucinating on that. I don't know. I, I, anyway. Yeah. Folks, he's made a tactical mistake. He's, he's very upset. We offered to send him to World Indoors. He said he opted. He said he would drive to College Station and go to NCAA Indoors next weekend. So he could have had a free trip to Birmingham, international travel. Instead, he's going to be driving in, a, in his truck down to, down to Texas. But um, so, you know, Shot has won like 16 or 17 races. He just hasn't run all that fast. Um, you know, I think he would really benefit. It was kind of interesting when I was listening to Brazier talk to you, John. I mean, he was talking. He does think this stuff out, like, like he's like we were asking him whether you wanted two heats or three. First he said he wanted three heats because there's less people you can just get out and run and put up a fast time and get in the final. And he's like, well maybe two would be good because if you get out in front, there's more traffic behind you, so the closers have to run extra ground and pass people. So you know that was interesting. Um, and I think you know Scott, he's a small guy, he's really crafty indoors. Um, he would do really well if it was a tactical race and there was some bumping. But with Brazier and Career, you think it's just if they get in the final, it's almost going to be like a rabbit of diamond league thing. Unless they, of course, sort of end up battling for the pole or not deciding who wants to take it or something like that. So, uh, yeah. really, well, going to be. I'm going to add one point on that as well. It's interesting. I was talking to Donovan off camera about you know him about Shaw and what his thoughts were on him and you know because he he knows that Shaw's a threat if it's a slow race, but. And he's like, yeah, he's been winning all the races, but he hasn't really run that fast. So I'm like, well, he did run 144 indoors. That's his PR. And he's like, when's that from? And I told him it was from 2012. And then Donovan's just like, 2012? And he's like, that's forever ago, you know? He's like, and I'm thinking, yeah, Donovan graduated high school in 2015. So, you know, he was a, probably, what, a sophomore in high school when uh, – or no, he would have been a freshman in high school when uh, – Adam Schott said his indoor personal best of 144. So quite a while ago for, for Donovan. Hmm. Yeah, it was interesting. He really is. He he likes to run fast times. I mean, he was talking. He was making fun of the SEC meet. I guess an A&M guy won it in 149. He's like, that's not you know fast enough. Um, 
which is good. But, yeah, you know, Brazier is still – he just turned 20, right? So he is very, very young. And, folks, it's kind of interesting. You remember a few years ago on the message boards, I told you I started a thread. I got a call. And people were like, like the title of the thread was something like, Grant Fisher isn't even the most talented high scorer in Michigan. And the reason was this guy had seen Brazier, and he said Brazier is better. And now the question is, you think that Grant Fisher, as good as he is, will he ever get a contract like Donovan Brazier got coming out? Of, uh, out? Will he ever be a, a favorite for, you know, at least a second favorite for, a go, uh, you know, predicted to get a silver medal in anything? And I think if this was an outdoor world championship year, that would probably still apply. I'll go and say no. Even if Fisher becomes as good as, you know, sort of the best, well, I don't know how to say this, non-African-born American, you know, like a, a Rupp, a Solinsky, a Tegan Camp. I mean, I guess Rupp would be the best. I guess Rupp would be considered, yeah, maybe he has been sort of the second favorite in some of these 10Ks. I don't think he was the second favorite, though, in London when he actually won the silver. So, more, you know, more often they're sort of the third or fourth favorite hoping to get a medal, not really in this position. So he's certainly – I've always thought, you know, when, when the website first started, like as good as the U.S. is at the 400, and we have some pretty good 1,500 people, why aren't we amazing at the 800? And we finally got someone who is amazing at the 800. Um, so there you have it. Let's now turn our attention to the women's 3,000 because that's going to happen in just a couple hours. And what a field. John, you wrote the preview. I mean, who do you consider to be the favorite? Saying, I feel like, I mean, I picked O'Beary to win, but I don't know if you can really call anyone a favorite. It's just, I, I, well, I suppose, no, the, the, I wrote the preview with saying that Baba, I think most people would have to view her as the favorite, um, just because, you know, she hasn't lost an outdoor race since, sorry, an indoor race since 2010. She's won 29 in a row, and that includes six indoor world records. She's just always in good shape indoors. She has won the last two titles in this event, so... I think based on, you know, her pedigree, uh, DeBaba has to be the favorite. But I, in practice, I don't know if that's actually going to be, you know, I, I don't see her as a slam dunk for this win at all because as we've seen the last few years, you know, 2015, she did win a world outdoor title um, when she was in world record shape in the 1500. But in some of these other races, unless she is significantly fitter than everyone else, uh, she has had a few, she can't be beaten. You know, she was beaten last year at, well, in the final at Worlds, she actually got lost in the final. You know, she's had some clunkers. And indoors, I think, uh, you know, it's been the case she's gotten into really good shape, but some of the other women haven't always been peaking as hard as her for the indoor championships. And this this time around, you know, Dubai has been running well again. She ran 831. She's a world leader by five seconds. But there's several other women who have been very impressive. You know, the Shelby Houlihan's been closing really well, albeit against, you know, the Americans, and she hasn't been doing it, you know, on the world stage. Um, Helen O'Beary crushed everyone in the 5,000 final at Worlds last year. Uh, she won this race in 2012, so she's, you know, got good indoors as well. Uh, you've got Safan Hassan, who's the reigning World Indoor 1500 champion. She ran, you know, she's run 356 outdoors. Uh, and she probably should have meddled, if not for a tactical error, um, in the 1500 last year. She did medal in the 5000 outdoors last year. So you got a lot of talent. I mean, my my actual my question for you, Robert, I guess is, you know, 
if one of these women, and it's probably going to be Debaba because that's it would make most sense for her to do it. If one of these women really tries to run a fast time, you know, something in the 820s, can Shelby Houlihan hang on? Because we saw last year, you know, she has a great kick, but in the World Championship final in the 5,000, uh, Almazayana set a very fast pace up front, and Houlihan just couldn't hold on. She got dropped, and she was a non-factor for the medals. Do you think if someone does it, and 3,000 might be better distance for Houlihan than 5,000, but if someone does a fast pace, is Houlihan going to be able to hang on if it's an 820 race, 820s race? No, I don't think so. I mean, maybe at the 3,000 distance, but I, it's like, I really think the world of Houlihan, I was thinking when I was reading the preview, I'm like, wait a minute, her kick is so good. Could she win the gold medal here? You know, I know is like a 350 woman, but you're right. It's interesting. As fast as she is, she generally just destroys people in races, you know, um, by by sort of running away from them in the front. She's not used to sort of accelerating and tactically doing that. that that's one thing I don't understand as a coaching standpoint. DeBaba seems to only go to meets where nobody else is in the circuit and try to run incredibly fast. Why don't they ever put her in like just a tactical 1500, a regular diamond? I mean, last year she did run like, I think only one diamond league. She ran like a zombie, but she ran like a 416 mile, which is really fast. But why don't you just get in like a 402 race and try to kick for once? Or even Brazier, you know, like just run one college meet. I always thought this was wet. Just run 140, one, one, one fifty college meet. And it was not going to be the real thing because even college meets now, they're not tactical. I'm not trying to run fast, but just like run in like fourth place for the first 400 and practice getting out of it and destroying everybody. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think Houlihan, I don't know. I, I think in the 5,000 outdoors, I'm just like, there's no way a U.S. woman can run under 1430. Like it's going to be impossible to run with these fourteen ten people, and I kind of feel like that still applies in the three thousand. Um, you know, I, I I don't think anyone's going to wait for this to let it come down to the last lap. I think there would be a longer push. So I think that makes you know is interesting. You know, Debaba has has never won a global outdoor gold. Is that correct, John? Right? She's only won. No, she won the fifteenth. She won the fifteen hundred in twenty fifteen. 15. Yeah, the year oh, she broke right. the world yeah. record. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I was looking at, because she's won world indoor gold each of the last 2012, 2014, 2016. I mean, before she got really, really good, she was sort of known almost as an indoor specialist, because you're right, she gets in shape when, when, when other people necessarily aren't in shape. Um, but, you know, when she won the world indoor gold, um, well, I guess the 1500 in, in 2015, it was a 408 race. So that was definitely a tactical race. So she didn't blow people away from the front. I don't even remember that race, but she ran 408.09 versus Faith Kipyaga running 408.96. Stefan Hassan was 409.34. So clearly a tactical race. So I guess she can do it. She can slam it down at the end because she did it there. Um, but like at World Indoors two years ago, I mean, there were some good people in that race, Defar, Roberry, et cetera. Um, but she just blew everybody away, 847 to 8.54. Obviously, that's not a real fast time. Um, so she must have slammed it from, you know, far out. But, um, you know, it, it's kind of like Brazier says, if you're way fitter than everybody, you don't have to worry about tactics. And generally, for the most part, the fittest person wins these races. Um, anyways, John, guest six is worried about Laura Muir's travel. How could she have difficult travel to Birmingham? Doesn't she, isn't she over there? Like, I'm kind of confused. Yeah, she's coming there. down from Scotland, I think. I saw uh... – I don't, I don't actually see specifically, but the thing is, 
Well, over here, the snow, especially up north, has uh, made some problems with with the trains. And the trains is usually how people get around in the UK. And a lot of the trains, I think, have been delayed or maybe not running uh, because of snow on the tracks, that sort of thing. So, so how much so snow is coming down? Or is it kind of like, I think a train would go over a small amount of snow. Is the UK, like, they're not really used to snow? Is it like Dallas or Atlanta when you get right. like, yeah, an inch of yeah. snow? People freak out. Yeah, it's it's kind of like that because really this this sort of this amount of snow right now, no one would be putting up any fuss about it in, in, uh, if we're in Boston. But over here, it's uh, it's more problematic. But yeah, apparently, um, I I don't know the details exactly about Laura's travel. I did say big thanks to our taxi driver who drove us through multiple blizzards to get us here. So she probably instead of taking the train down from uh, Scotland, she. Uh, Probably took a lengthy taxi ride or something like that, but yeah, she's here. I, I don't, I don't think. I, mean, I, I would think that a train would be safer than a taxi. You know, it's like people who are fear who, who don't like flying end up driving. It's more dangerous. Anyways, looking at the Let's Run prediction contest, most people are going with Dubaba, seventy-two point nine percent. They've been going with her at a higher rate in fifteen hundred. Seventy-eight percent of picking her into win at fifteen hundred. They've got Hassan at 14.6%. Helen O'Berry at 8.4%. Coolahan is getting picked to win the thing by 2.7%. And then Coster having a 09 I, I can't see Coster having, having the wheels to do it. I mean, she's really good. She might be fitter in a rabbited race than Houlihan, although I'm not sure about that. But I just don't – and she is fast. But there's a difference between being fast and sort of having the wheels to change, you know, and, and being able to kick. Um, you know, John, you were at the Ivy League Championships. There was a young man from Brown. I mean, he's a sub four minute miler, but, you know, sub eight minute 3K, but he didn't win the 3K because he's not used to, he's not as good over the last 400 as everybody else in a fantastic race. So, yeah, the, the ability to change gears and really kick hard, that's that's what separates people at the pro level. That's what separates the pros from the collegians and the gold medalists from the uh, also rants. Yeah. But um, I that 3K would be big for Laura Muir. I mean, I feel like every every host needs their sort of hometown hero, whether it was Kathy Freeman at the Olympics in Australia, Michael Johnson at the Olympics in Atlanta. Uh, when, I, when Weldon made his one of his his one U.S. appearance at a outdoor outdoor vest at the Pan Am Games, it was um, the uh, hurdler. 400 hurdler, uh, what's his name? Was it Santos? Yeah, I think it's. it's uh... And people, people, people were climbing into the stadium down there in, in the. Um, was Felix Sanchez, that's who it is. Felix Sanchez. Yeah, Felix Sanchez. There we go. They were climbing out over the stadium to get in to watch. So, you know, everybody wants to have a thing. When we were in Poland, I guess it was four years ago, the, really the big event was the Vendee 800. Um, they had Scott and Lewandowski, and, and they initially both medaled. Neither one won gold. Um, I forgot who won the gold that year. Was it? It's Mo Amon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Back when Amon was amazing. So Amon was really good. The two poles were, were battling, and they, they initially finished like second and third, but one of them got DQ'd for stepping on the infield. So, but it was really exciting. I mean, that place was so loud. Um, John, at the Portland World Champs, I, mean, I guess there's so many Americans battling, but what was the loudest? Do you remember? Like, what was the loudest for the crowd? I feel like the the men's 3K was pretty loud. Ryan Hill got the silver there, and that was just a very close race. And 
I think men's 3K probably and men's uh, 1500 with Centurits winning had to be the two two loudest races from what I remember. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the other big, um, you know, I, I think that, well, you can double back. So most of the 3K women will probably double back in the 1500. Although, do we know if Gula Hand's doing it? Is she definitely not doubling back? Oh, she's double, She's doubling back. Yeah, she's doing both. Oh, she's doing both. Um, so most of those women will come back in the 1500. So that really leaves sort of the women's 800. A.G. Wilson, I know you and Weldon were going back and forth as who would be our official let'srun.com pick in that race. Tell us about that and how you ultimately decided. Um, I, I think Weldon overruled you, right? He, he picked um, Ian Sauber, right? Well, he picked Ian Sauber, and then I put my pick of – we kind of ended up picking – I think I put my pick in there second, so I think we kind of officially took let's run stances and Ian Sauber's going to win. But, he, look, here's the way I figure it. All right, Wilson's about as good as she was two years ago. She's running well. She's definitely a medal. Got a shot at a medal. But me and Saba came into that meet, and we said going in, like, look, this woman ran 157 in 2015. Uh, the, you know, she's kind of an unknown quantity, but she's got a huge upside. Like, she could easily come in here and win if she's at her best. And she came in and won. And now we've got the same sort of situation, except – Nian Saba is coming in. She hasn't raced indoors, but she's dominated in 2016 and 2017 compared, you know, other than Semenya. She's dominated everyone else in the event. Semenya is the only one she's beat, lost to in an 800 um, since the start of 2016. And she's coming into this race, and I just think, look, who's the better 800 runner, Nian Saba or Wilson? Uh, I think it's Nian Saba, and I don't think that the fact that she hasn't raced this year is going to be that big a deal. And the other thing is, Wilson, if Wilson was really, if she was, Running as well as she was last year indoors, I would have to think about it. Because she ran 158, even though it didn't count. You know, it's you know, I saw I you know I saw her run that time, um, and she was just very very fit. Whereas this year, she hasn't broken two minutes. She's actually never broken two minutes officially indoors. USA's Raven Rogers came very close to beating her. Um, you know, she's been running well, but she hasn't been running well enough for me to really think that she's going to beat Francine Niansaba, who has, you know, consistently been running 155, 156, 157 outdoors the last few years. Yeah. Oh, so Weldon wanted to pick Wilson. I had it backwards? Yes. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, no, I, I kind of agree with your logic. I mean, it seems weird to me that you wouldn't race. Um, I've never understood that, but. Well, I think she's been in Kenya, is what it sounds like. She's been training in Kenya, so just getting coming over to get an indoor race. But is she not be, part of the of the OTC anymore? Uh, I think she she is like officially. I think she is, but uh, you know, sometimes these athletes go on training camps. You know, especially yeah. during the winter, the what like the African based ones, like I think Moaman and and uh, Nigel Amos will spend time away. Yeah, and, I mean the weather yeah. in Portland is not good. I was actually talking to a fairly prominent coach recently and he wasn't buying any of this. I mean, he was dated. He's like, I don't buy anyone going to a third world country. You don't go to a third world country to go into shape, to get in shape. You go into a third world country to dope. So I was like, so you think everyone who's over there training is doping? Like whether that's the Robertson twins from New Zealand or that moan guy, or, you know, Nian Saba goes over there. I mean, come on. Have you ever been to Portland in the winter? It's not like fun. And there's no indoor track. 
really to train on. So <laughs> I think going home to to Africa and you're closer, you can probably get on a quicker plane to see your family. That you know is appealing. So I, I definitely um, you know think that makes sense. Um, you know, on yeah, I'd have a hard time believing you know Desi Linden's gone over there to train uh, at altitude stance and. You know, well, I, I wish I used that. That would, have, that would have shut them up. What do you say? So that probably would have would have would have um, stopped him if I if thought of, if I'd used that um, example. I was thinking of um, yeah. So the women's eight, you know women's eight hundred is going to be interesting. Actually, the Electra Nation, though, is going, you know, John, this is why you and I, though, at a superior level compared to everybody else. Weldon Johnson is sort of your distant CEO, doesn't really know what's going on. That's why he's finishing way back in these contests. He's just like the average public, you know, knows a little bit, has his favorites, his bias, though, because Electra Nation, 52% are picking Wilson for gold, 27% for Nian Saba, and 10% for Habitam Elamu. I, I would pick Raven Rogers at much higher percentage. You know, it's weird. Four point six percent. She was very close to beating to beating Wilson. I think she's got a, certainly a higher percentage of that. I was actually thinking about list, list, trying to find some some indoor betting odds, John, before these races. We need to put some money down. You and I can make a killing. Um, yeah, I I haven't well, I haven't seen any uh, any betting stores around the stadium area. I don't even know if they're offering odds. I know they they did at the World Indoor World Outdoor Championships last year, but I haven't. I haven't seen any, and it's once the meet starts, I'm not really going to have much time to seek them out. So uh, I don't know if I'll be able to do that or not. I was thinking the, um, I had some brilliant point I wanted to make, and I cannot remember what it was. It was about the 800s. Well, before you make it, I just want to say I'm, uh, Maybe back off the uh, the elitism here. This is the second time that you've sort of referred to us as being much smarter than the general public, and uh, I don't I don't totally believe that. So uh, people would accuse us of Ivy League bias and that sort of thing. And oh, thank Ivy you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna step back, step away. If you want to sing my praises, you can, but uh, I'm gonna try to remain humble here. Thank you. Oh, that's why we love you. Um, so in t- turning to sort of the rest of the men's events. Um, I mean, how do you break down that 3K? To me, you know, that is really, you know, a phenomenal event. I mean, you had basically the world outdoor champion in the 5,000 meter, the guy who took down Mo Farah, Mukhtar Edris, wasn't able to make the team. It's so loaded from Ethiopia. Then you've got Shalimo, you know, global medalist the last two years. How do you break that one down? Well, I think, I think Shalimo is the guy to beat, really. Uh, you know, He's been at the top level in the world for, uh, you know, ever since uh, he got second at the Olympics. And now he really, he's found a winning strategy. You know, he knows how to race. And I think it's like, it's like Farah. You know, he's quite not, not quite as dominant as Farah yet, obviously. But he gets to the front and he just controls it. And if you're the best guy, which I do think Shalimo is, you can do that. And that also reduces the chance to, for errors. So, if you're just running the shortest line all the way around. So I, I do think Chalimo um, is going to win this race. I think he's going to become the world champion. But those three Ethiopians are really, really good. You know, Borrega has run 736. Um, he's officially still only 18 years old, though, you know, take that with a grain of salt. 
but he's you know he's very very talented. And last year he was you know just behind. He's just out of the medals, uh, the World Outdoor Championships, and he's just behind the the top four, or I guess top three, once you take Chilimo's DQ into effect at the uh, Zurich Diamond League final. So he's going to be in the hunt. Hargis Gebrewet, this guy medals everywhere. You know, he hasn't actually, he hasn't won a global title, but he's got three medals outdoors. Uh, and he had a great race earlier this year in, uh, you know, in Karlsruhe. He closed in 25 points for, uh, for 3,000, where he ran 27, sorry, 737. And if you can close that fast, I mean, really hard to close much faster than that in 3K. So I think if that version shows up, uh, he's got a great chance to win. But if he's like the Gebra White we saw in Boston, where Cesarek just destroyed him over the last lap, uh, that guy might not even medal. So you never know. And yeah, then I, the, oh, sorry, Kajelche is the reigning champ. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, too. I mean, I thought Gebra White was so good in, the, in that first race over in Europe. I'm not sure what to think of the race in Boston. I mean, if you just look at an absolute scale, it was he ran slower and closed way slower than he did in Europe. Um, I, I thought part of that was maybe he just didn't care as much. Like, you know, those guys, um, you know, Mark Wetmore, the agent, puts on, on the Boston meet, and, and basically he always has his own guys in there. And uh, sort of my understanding, they basically – he gives them the biggest appearance fee they get of the year. So whatever the biggest appearance fee in Europe is for any Diamond League meet, they get for coming to Boston. So they all show up. But, you know, it's a lot of travel to come to one meet, come to the U.S. You know, Speaking of and, that, I just want to make a side comment. Isn't that kind of – you know, I, I I just feel like that's a big conflict of interest if your agent is also the one putting on the meat and he's the pay, one paying out the appearance fees. Isn't that just, uh, I don't know, that seems well, very, no, very weird. Better than the alternative. I mean, thank God he's the agent. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had big names because it was the week before USA. So you, That's a good point, yeah. Yeah, Brazier yeah, showed up. You know, he got some good athletes for sure. So, um, but but, you know, I mean... I don't know. I, like, I've always wanted to see, like, some of these monster talents. You know, you have guys that, like, they come onto the scene at 18, supposedly 18 and 19, and then they're really good, and they break 13. But then, like, five years later, they're still running mediocre times and getting, like, fifth of world. Not mediocre times, but they haven't really improved. So I've always wanted to see, like, that's why I was fascinated by Kajelcha. He went over to Oregon Project. I'm like, this is it. It's over. He's going to win everything. And then, you know, he hasn't won everything. Although I will point out that Mo Fair, remember when he first joined Salazar, he lost the Boston New Balance meet. I think it was, might have been a different sponsor back then. But he, he lost He lost to one of the EP opens without a shoe. Gabor Mesco didn't have his shoe on. He was able to beat Mo Fair. And then obviously a couple of years later with, with Salazar, he was unbeatable. So Kajelcha could be that guy. I mean, at first I thought, like, he's never going to lose again. But the more – now I, I turned – I'm always in the dynasties. Like, I love Tom Brady, the Patriots, John. Of course, you do too. But same thing as individuals. I want someone like, who's the next Tyler G? Who's the next Bikile? That type of thing. And really, Borrega, he could be it. I, and I'm basing it all on how young he is. He's run 12.55. He's finished fourth at Worlds. Um, at such a young age. You know, if he wins this race, I'm handing him, like, unbeatable status for, like, five years. Maybe. I mean, <laughs> because, and I'm also going off the message boards. Someone posted on there that Highway G anointed him as a successor. I don't know if that's true. People always say, oh, there's no better way to verify that. But generally, people just don't make things up. I assume he's somebody from Ethiopian, 
from Ethiopia or know somebody in Ethiopia. I imagine they read that, and I keep linking to that on the message board. So, you know, he's just a monster, monster talent. So it'll be be really interesting. But but 58% are picking Chalima, 16% are picking Borrega and Gabriela each. Only 7% are picking Kajelcho, it seems low to me. Um but I didn't actually Kajelcha, did he lose again, right? Was he in the Glasgow race this weekend with with, with Tolima? He was, right? Yes, he was, and he, he got beat. And I was Tolima say, really, John, you are aware of the fact that Tolima lost his last race two days ago. If you go to the message boards, um, we have a link up to, the, to that race. Yeah, and you're aware of the manner in which he lost that race. He was trying to – he wasn't going all out at the finish. He didn't – you know, he, was, he wasn't trying as hard as he, he could have. Right. So I, I guess that leaves one more race to talk about, and that's the men's 1500 from a distance standpoint. I mean, there's a lot of other things with Christian Coleman. I really think it's also great that the field defenders are all there. There was five field defenders that went undefeated for the 2017 outdoor 2017 season, and they're all competing. So a lot of things for the true track and field fan. But the men's 1500, I think I saved it for last because I, I don't know how to to analyze it. It seems wide open. But one of the reasons why I think it seems wide open, John is, I don't want to say you are biased, but you always do point out about the doping rate uh, of any John Madden coach athlete. You said you don't, you know, and to your credit, I would say, because I always say, what were the baseball writers the late 1990s, early 2000s doing? Don't they feel embarrassed? And you sort of said to me, yeah, I don't want to be that guy that doesn't mention stuff in 10 years and look like an idiot. So I think it's fair to mention Matsuo Man's coach by John Madden. There was a rate of the John Madden compound. You know, drugs were found in some of the other rooms, not his room. But I also point out there's been no charges. Um, and, you know, I, it's weird. I, I always play it both ways because if this was – we were talking about Alberto Salazar and, and those guys, I would probably be pointing out the opposite. I like to go against public opinion, basically. So I like to take the contrarian view. I mean, my argument would be how much different is that from Salazar? I guess it wasn't a police raid, but he had – testosterone in his bag no one's been yeah he had a testosterone he had a prescription for testosterone no one has a prescription for epo and certainly no one in that training group well yeah but this wasn't his prescription it was it was some runner so if you coach 25 africans there might be one desperate one that's on epo you know what are you supposed to do rat him out to the to the feds or you know figure it all out he's also giving he was also giving david torrance mysterious vital wanted to give david torrance mysterious vitamin injections and that Uh, i don't know there are questions there are questions about Auden. he hasn't been convicted or charged of anything but i just think there are questions and there's certainly questions about the south Oregon project so right anyways i'm playing both both sides there but i think one of the things is you know, after the raid, they did, those guys didn't do as well, women. But, you know, Suleiman had a really bad last year, but he's back this year running quite well. He's, you know, I mean, I think based on his performances this year, he's the fastest guy in the field. I think he's undefeated. Um, he would be, normally be considered, right, a, a pretty decent favorite in this race. For sure, yeah. I mean, his form of uh... – 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016. He was he was one of the very best 1500 guys in the world. He won this race four years ago. Um, he was two years ago in Portland. He was leading for a while, and then he just totally fell off the back. I don't know what happened to him in that race. But yeah, this guy he was fourth at the Olympics in the 1500. You know, at his best, 
Uh, he's better than all of these guys except for Aguida. If Aguida, you know, Aguida's a 328 guy or 329 guy, close to that. Um, so, yeah, you know, if he's at his best, absolutely. I think he's a, pretty much a clear favorite. And looking at what he's done this year, I think he probably should be the favorite. You know, he's run 335. He's only one of the one of only two guys on the field to run that fast. He is a guy who likes to control races from the front which uh, if you can do it well in 1,500 indoors, that's a big advantage, and Suleiman can do it well. So, yeah, I'd, I'd say that he's probably the man to beat. Yep, and Electron Nation agrees with you, John. 63.6% are voting for him. Now, the second pick here, John, who would be your pick for silver? Well, um you, you you talked up uh, the young Ethiopian Samuel Tafara a lot in the preview, so I feel like maybe that's the guy they're going with. Uh, he's the fifth pick right now. Go the white, the great white hope. Yes, Chris O'Hare of Britain, eleven point nine percent. Ecuador fourth, third at ten point four. Vincent Cabet fourth at six point eight, and then Tafara at four point three. And then you're, everyone else is below one percent. Halusa White and Tolosa Ingles at point four percent. Lewandowski at point three. And Gerson. those are to win. So it's not. Just you know, people aren't necessarily picking them. Uh, for yeah, let's probably. I bet the Brits are going for him. So my uh, my one concern about Chris O'Hare is um, he didn't run the British Championships two weeks ago. He withdrew due to a minor foot issue, and he said it hasn't healed as fast as I hoped. Uh, this was before the meet, is what he said when he said this. But you just don't. You know, going to a major championship, you don't want to see any setbacks of any kind. And the fact that he had this foot issue that was serious enough for him not to run this meet, I just think that's something to definitely be aware of, especially when he's not a, a clear favorite to begin with. That's a good point. I think most people probably didn't know about that. Obviously, I actually wrote that preview. I didn't know about it. I assumed he just skipped the British champs because he was already on the team or something. Um because, yeah, I thought when he ran Milrose, I think he ran like 354. He wanted to run faster. I mean, he broke that race open. I think he thought he was fit. So I'm thinking, okay, if he's really thought he should be in 352 shape then, and we've had almost, you know, six weeks since then, he could be in 350 shape. That's going to put him in the mix. But if he's not training and he's just resting and getting his foot better, you know, then his time is, you know, if he converted to the 1500, he'd be like the fourth or fifth seed. You know, I, I think a, a medal would be a, a nice accomplishment. Gold would be sort of a, sort of a, a big ask. But there's really, you know, not a lot of, you know, options. I mean, I, I think that some of these Ethiopians have only got a handful of races and their careers indoors. Um, you know, so and not that it's that much different, but you know, I'm trying to figure out if uh, – and Halusa, don't forget about Halusa from the Czech Republic. That guy can kick like, uh, you know, well, everyone, in the, a lot of guys in the 1500 have good kicks, but that guy especially, he was coming on like a freight train in uh, Portland two years ago to get the silver. Um, if he's in it and it's close, uh, that guy's definitely someone to watch. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons why I was really high to Farah was just that it's kind of wide open. I have the option of picking a guy I don't know much about, but he's undefeated on the year. He ran 333 as a 17-year-old last summer. And I guess allegedly 17-year-olds might be a better way to say it, but um, world junior record holder. He's another guy, I think. Both Ethiopians. If one of them, if he, if Farrah wins at 1,500, 
I'm gonna, I think we're going to be like, wow, like watch out. But now, Ethiopia historically hasn't been real good at, at the 1500. I had an agent tell me it's like they don't really know how to coach the speed events over there because they have so few of them. He's like he thought they hit too much speed work and sort of burn everybody out. So if Chaffaro wins the 1500 and Borrego wins the, wins the 3000, we're really going to have you know some fascinating stuff in the years to come. And there's actually a new group of Kenyan young guys. I mean, all the like fourth, fifth, and sixth place finishers at these Kenyan trials, the Commonwealth trials, were really young. I mean, Manningoy's younger brother is one of them. Um, so there could be a new crop. I mean, some of these guys like Willis and Weeding just retired or are getting up there. Not that Weeding was really a big player in the world stage in the last decade. But, um, you know, it's time for, for, you know, the young guys to step up. Um, a real big thing there is just getting in the final. There's so many people. And the way they've done it in the past, I think they've had like three or four time qualifiers, which to me is absurd. The 1500 is not a race that people care about times in. People aren't used to running it. You can go out and run an 800 from the front and get a good time. Like the number of times that people time trial a 1500 in their life is like next to zero. So, it's not I, – I feel like – I think they had three heats and they took the top two in each heat and then like four times. Is that what they did, John, or did they take 12 to the final? Top three and in each heat? Yeah. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how it works. I think anyway, uh... they, they've had three times qualifiers, and one coach told me, he's like, look, it's all about being in the third heat. It's so much easier. You know the times to get, and then like six guys get into the final out of the third heat. And I just feel like – I would rather see it like if you're doing a 10-person final and you had three heats, top three in each heat, a one-time qualifier. Like time in yeah. the 1500, it just doesn't mean anything to me. And I, I, sometimes like NCAA, I, both NCAAs and USA, it drives me nuts. Like, it's like how do we consistently have this stupidity going on and on? And I guess I know they want to like encourage people to make it like an honest race, although it's like boring and people jog around. Um, so I, some, I think it's – so no one's good. They know, most of the time they don't jog around, but they don't go so super slow. Look, the Olympic yeah. final was one in three fifty, and that was a great race. Like, it's just yeah, whatever. I'm actually looking at this prediction contest. I found the biggest favorite overall, bigger than bigger than Coleman at ninety nine percent. Oh no, I'm wrong. Ninety eight point six percent. U.S. women's four by four. Yeah, they're not losing that. Uh, you don't think there's a 1.4% chance they drop that baton? They could probably drop it and go pick it up. It's still in the 4x4, four four, it's, it's not a death sentence. In the 4x1, yeah. But this is a indoor, you know, it's 4x4. Four four. The, the women's, um, there's so much stuff to be excited for. If you're a track fan, I, I, people tend to say it's World Indoors. No, you got to get excited about this and just say it's the World Championship of 2018. I mean, Kendra Harrison and Melvis and Manning and, and the 60 hurdles with Pearson, that's going to be amazing. You've got Okolo and 400. I mean, there's so much ridiculous. Uh, there's really, like, all these events are exciting, not just the, the um, you know, mid-D and distance events. So it should be fantastic. This all starts later today, folks. Taking you through the schedule – the high jump starts at 1.45 U.S. time, and then the women's 3,000 is at 3.15. Then tomorrow, um, we're going to have both morning and evening sessions. So the morning session is going to be tough for U.S. fans to watch. So hopefully by the time we all wake up, Jonathan will have his recaps written. Um, cause well, there's, between 3, 000, there's only the 3,000 prelims. It's really the oh, so thing. You, you can get up early, U.S. fans, 7.50 tomorrow morning. 
here on the West Coast, it's going to be brutal, though. But uh, 7.50 tomorrow morning is the 3,000 heats for the men. And then in the afternoon, um, we're not going to have any finals distance-wise, but we're going to have 800 heats, which take a lunch break for the men at 2.13, and then the women's 1,500 heats are at 2.48. So take your lunch break from 2.10 to 3.10, and you'll be good to go there. Um, and then we have the women's 60 final is the big final tomorrow night, as well as the men's long jump and shot put. And then Saturday, we're obviously going to get busy with a, with a lot of stuff. People won't be working, so it'll work out perfectly um, for U.S. fans. The men's 800 final, 2.35 p.m. on Saturday should be fantastic. The women's 1500 final is also that day. Is, so, is it a straight? No, no, it's not. And then no, women's Sunday, 1500, they have prelims. Uh, yeah. And then the men's 3K, I still don't understand the schedule. Like, who invented the schedule? Was it so that Muir could maybe double? Like, no, it's, clearly, it's, it's, it's because there's no heats in the uh, women's 3,000. They have a straight final, so they just run that on the first day, and then they come back and run the prelims at the 1,500 the next day. The men's 3,000, the field is bigger, so they have a, a prelims in the final. Well, I know, but couldn't they? I mean, they could make the men's field smaller if they wanted to. Yeah, no, that's a good question. Or they could just stretch it out so you go prelim Thursday, prelim Friday, final Saturday, final Sunday. Uh, they they could have made it work if they wanted to, but they did not. Yeah, because the men's finals are 47 minutes apart. be a really tough double. Even the great Howard yeah. Gepper Celeste in his day, I think, would struggle with that, folks. Yeah, that's one of the things, folks. Young young fans may not realize this. One of the reasons why I loved highly, he once won world indoor fifteen hundred meter gold. So you know, when people say, "Oh, there's nobody that can kick and run a three twenty eight like Mo Farah," I mean, all these guys, if you're running twenty six low in the ten k, you're gotta be pretty fast too. So, anyways, but uh, John, probably should let you go. I know you want to get some lunch or not lunch. I guess it would be dinner there, right? Yeah, I had a, I made sure I had a big lunch at this barbecue place nearby. By the way, British barbecue, not nearly as good as uh, American barbecue. Their pulled pork was fairly mediocre. But anyway, yeah, I had a big lunch, and uh, I don't know, I'll probably grab something quick because I'm going to be at the meet during dinner time. So, uh, yeah. Very good. I'll be having my lunch here. A few of the podcasters, a few of the chatters have, have are upset that with some of these the early editions of the – First editions of Let's Run's Track Talk apparently are unavailable to download. I'll try to find, see if I can find them. The great John Kellogg in one of the early editions. Craig Virgin was on another. Tim Bro. So I'll try to see if we can get those fixed for everybody. But I um, want to thank you for joining us. Um, John, safe travels. Don't get hurt walking across the street to the stadium. And, um, <laughs> I think I'll manage. Folks, and I'll be publishing, folks. Maybe I'll just do it. Um, I'll be publishing these, these these votes somewhere so you can help your prediction contest. Not fair for me to have inside information and nobody else. But anyways, for Jonathan Galt, this is LetsRun.com co-founder Robert Johnson. Thank you for joining us on Track Talk. Enjoy the world, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you later.